James Garfield was the uh, 20th President of the United States, and uh, before he came, became President, he was a uh, teacher, presumably a professor, uh, in what is now known as Hiram College in Ohio. And he used to amuse uh, his students by being able to write on the chalkboard with both, ha both hands. Uh, with one hand he wrote in Greek and the other he wrote in Latin, uh, apparently, uh, both at the same time. And uh, it's said that on one occasion a father of one of the students uh, came to Garfield to complain that the course that he was teaching was far too long and arduous and difficult, and he asked that it might be shortened. And Garfield replied, certainly, but it all depends on what you want to make of your boy. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes a hundred years. Uh, that little story which I hope is true, you know, I doubt it somewhat, but uh, whether it's true or not, it illustrates the value and the necessity of work. And that is the subject of the proverb that we are looking at in more detail this morning. Now let me read it again in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29. We read, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Before we get into the details of how to apply this proverb to ourselves, there are just a few things to say to make sure the meaning is clear to us. Um, first of all, when it says man, uh, it means women as well. Uh, don't think you get out of this. Uh, when it says, do you see a man, it means do you see a man or a woman who excels in their work? The Bible often uh, uses the word man to mean both. Uh, also, when it says work, it doesn't just mean uh, an office job or uh, a paid occupation. That's generally what we mean by work, don't we? If someone asks you what is your work, we tend to say what it is that we are paid for if uh, we do work. Uh, but that isn't merely what this word work means. Uh, it refers to whatever our legitimate occupation is. That might be farmer or engineer or pastor or student or housewife. Uh, includes being a husband, being a wife, being a father, being a mother. I know someone uh, who is retired and he likes to say that being retired simply means that you're not paid for working. Uh, that's what retirement is. Because we all have some task to do. If we're still alive and we're still conscious, then we have some sort of work to do. And that is the sort of work that is being referred to here. And this proverb teaches that if we excel... In our work, we will stand before kings. And that simply means that our influence uh, will be great. Our lives will have significance. They will be worthwhile. They will be fruitful. 
That's what it means to stand before kings. It doesn't necessarily mean that we will become famous in the world's eyes, but it means that our lives will have significance. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man called James Harrison. I'll be surprised if you did. Uh, But James Harrison has saved the lives of over two million people. Uh, He's known as the man with the golden arm uh, because James's blood produces a a rare antibody which cures uh, a disease which would be otherwise fatal called rhesus disease in unborn children. And uh, James Harrison has donated, I think he's still alive to this day, uh, he's donated 1,173 times, which is a Guinness World Record. Uh, it's estimated that his donations have saved the lives of almost, two, almost 2.4 million babies. And not only that, his blood has also been used in the development of a medicine uh, known as anti-D, which it is hoped will banish the rhesus disease in children forever. And that's the man that most of us, I'm sure, have never even heard of. Yeah, his life has significance. Uh, have you ever heard of Niels Bolin? Uh, he's not cured any diseases, but he invented the three-point seatbelt. Uh, so you may not have heard of his name, but uh, no doubt probably all of us at some point have benefited from his invention. Uh, have you ever heard of Henrietta Lacks? Uh, I'm sure you haven't, but... Uh, she, uh, I think she's died now, but she uh, had a tumour, uh, a cancerous tumour, which scientists discovered had unique cells in it, uh, which were then used to uh, create uh, a vaccine, which has again saved and healed many people's lives. Uh, and I just use those examples to illustrate that fame does not necessarily equal significance, and significance does not necessarily equal fame. There are many celebrities in this world who, although they might be significant in the eyes of people, their lives have next to no significance in the eyes of God. And that is really what this proverb is speaking of, Uh, because even those examples I just gave of the man who created the seatbelt, or these people who have contributed to medical science, Uh, even their lives are not necessarily true significance. Uh, They have significance, of course, in the eyes of men and of women. But this proverb aims higher than that. What the Bible is most concerned with is that our lives have significance in the eyes of God himself. Let me ask you this morning, uh, do you want your life to be significant in God's eyes? Uh, Do you want to live a fruitful, worthwhile life from God's perspective? Uh, I sincerely hope the answer for all of us is yes. We all want to live a life, surely, which will count not just for this world, but also for the world that is to come. Not just for temporary life, but for eternal life. Well, if you do, listen to the words of this proverb. 
Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. So for the rest of our time this morning, uh, I want us to delve a bit deeper and look at that question, how do we excel in our work? Uh, Repeat it again. All of us fall into that category. Uh, All of us have some work to do, whether we're young, whether we're old. We all have a task given to us by God if we are still living and breathing. We have a purpose to accomplish. The question is, how do we excel in it? And the answer the Bible gives, to put it in as few words as possible, is that we must abide in Christ. We must abide in Christ. So if you don't remember anything else from the message this morning, remember that. If you want to excel in your work, you have to abide in Christ. And there are three reasons for that. And we're going to look at those three reasons for the rest of our time. Uh, The first reason is that why we must abide in Christ to excel in our works is because we must be in a right relationship with our master if we're to excel in our master's work. If we want to please God in the work that we do, we must be in a right relationship with him. And we cannot do that without abiding in Christ. Uh, When Jesus was on earth, uh, he was asked by a crowd of people um, as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, what must we do to do the work of God? They were asking him, What do we need to do to do what God wants us to do? And do you know what Jesus' response was? Uh, Jesus said this, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus said this is the work of God. Believe in the one whom God has sent. That is Jesus Christ. If you want a significant, productive, worthwhile, fruitful life, you need to know Christ. You need to be in a relationship with him. Listen to Christ's own words uh, a little later in the same gospel, John's gospel. Uh, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. It does not matter how successful you are in the eyes of the world. Uh, Your work, your life, will not carry any significance into eternity unless you are rooted in Christ. 
Uh, your significance will just be a, a flash in the pan. It'll be like the uh, iridescence of a bubble. looks pretty while it lasts, but then it pops. Uh, it'll be like the flash and a bang of a firework. There one second, but gone the next. We need Jesus. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, the Associated Press uh, released a study uh, done by an agricultural school somewhere in America. And it was reported uh, that production of a hundred bushels of corn uh, from one acre of land, uh, in addition to the many hours of the farmer's labour, uh, required four million pounds of water, uh, 6,800 pounds of oxygen, uh, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and other elements too numerous to list. Uh, in addition to this, these things, of course, the farmer could not produce that corn without the rain and sunshine at the uh, crucial time needed for those crops to grow. And it was estimated that only 5% of the produce of the farm could be attributed to the efforts of the farmer. Uh, all the rest, 95%, depended upon these elements outside of his control. And that's a good little picture of our lives. Uh, we have duty, we have responsibility before God, but we rely on him to provide the increase to our work, whatever it is. We labour, we work hard, we should, but we depend upon him to provide the benefit, to provide the increase. And most importantly of all, we need Christ so that we can have a relationship with God at all. Uh, we're all rebels. Uh, we don't like to admit it, but we are. We like to go our own way. As the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And so we need forgiveness. We need reconciliation with God. And that is only possible through Christ, who died on the cross, who paid our punishment for us, so that anyone who trusts in him can be forgiven and can reconcile with our maker. So that's the first reason why, if we want to excel in our work, we must abide in Christ. Because without him, we cannot be in a right relationship with our master, with the one who gives us our work. But there's more to be said. There's more to be said about why Christ is crucial so that we excel in our work. The second reason is that it's not possible to know what your work is without Christ. And you might think, well, surely it's an easy thing to know what our work is. We don't struggle to answer the question, what is it that you do? Uh, or when you were working, if you're not working now, it wasn't difficult to know what you did. Perhaps for some of, for some of us it was. Uh, but for most of us, it's not difficult to describe what our occupation is or was. But there are thousands of people 
probably millions of people in the world who are wasting their time doing things that they don't need to be doing or should not be doing while neglecting things that they must be doing. The Bible makes very, very clear, God is our master. If I can put it very crudely, God is our boss. Of course, he is much more than that. He is our king. Christ is our king. And if we're ignoring him, if we're busy doing our own thing, then we won't know what it is that we're supposed to be doing. It's sad to say, but our natural priorities, our natural desires, are often not Christ's priorities. They're not what Christ wants. It's quite terrifying to think, actually, if you examine your life, perhaps, and think how many things are important to you, but are not actually necessarily that important to God. And it's so easy to forget why we're here, who our master is. We do not own ourselves. We've been bought with a price, as we've just been saying. If we're a believer here this morning, and even if we're not, we don't belong to ourselves. We are not our own masters. We have another master. His name is Jesus. And we must listen to him to know what our work on earth is. Uh, how many men are there in the world who pour their souls into their career, but their children rarely see them? Or when they do see them, they're so tired and distracted that that time is not meaningful. Of course, we need to work. We need to earn money. But that should never come at the expense of being a father or being a mother or being a husband or a wife or even a child or whatever our situation in life is. We need to make God's priorities our priorities. And we can only do that by listening to what Jesus says is most important. Jesus himself said, didn't he? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Put me in first place, and I will take care of these other lesser things. That was in the context of speaking about anxiety. And much of our anxiety springs from the fact that we make ourselves our own master instead of submitting to him. Because we have to decide what we do instead of listening to him. Uh, the disciples were once uh, walking by the Sea of Galilee and Peter was talking with Jesus. And Jesus told Peter something of what Peter would do in his life and even how he would die. And... Uh, do you remember what Peter's response was? Uh, Peter had this very interesting information about his own life. And he immediately turned and he pointed at another disciple and he said, what about him? What's he going to do? What's going to happen to him? And do you remember Jesus' response? 
Jesus said to him, what is that to you? You follow me. And we can be so often like Peter, worrying about what other people are doing, competing even with other people, trying to get ahead, trying to do this, trying to do that. But we don't pause to stop to listen. What does Jesus want of me? What does it mean for me to follow Christ? And you might be surprised by what Christ's Christ response is. He may not want you to do something outwardly great, uh, outwardly impressive, something which other people look on and think, wow. It might be something relatively small. It might be something which seems insignificant. It may not even be something particularly difficult. It might be something easy, but it's something Christ wants you to do. That is what our focus should be in life. What is it Christ expects of me? That is how we excel in our work, by listening to Christ's words and doing what he says, however insignificant it might seem. So that's the second reason why we must abide in Christ in order to excel in our work. We need to listen to him to know what we should be doing. Uh, but there's one more thing. I'm sure there's others, but there's at least one more thing that needs to be said about this. Uh, we need Christ in order to be in a right relationship with our master. Uh, we need him in order to know what our work is. Uh, but thirdly and lastly, we need him in order to know how to do the work that he gives to us. Now, you might object here and say, but I'm a doctor, or I'm an engineer, or I'm a mechanic, or I'm a whatever. Uh, Jesus cannot teach me to be those things. And you would be right. Uh, you can search through the Bible, but you won't find how to fix a car in the Bible. It's not there. Uh, you won't find how to stitch a wound or even how to bake a cake. Uh, these details are not given to us in the Bible. Nevertheless, Christ does teach us how to become a fruitful doctor or a fruitful engineer or a fruitful housewife or a fruitful whatever, fill in the blank. Because knowing, for example, how a car works is not enough to truly excel at being a mechanic. Uh, knowing how an engine works is not enough to truly excel at being an engineer. Uh, knowing all the different sorts of medication is not enough to truly excel at being a doctor. Knowledge educates the mind, but it doesn't transform the heart. It doesn't touch our character. Christ may not teach us how to bake a cake, but he does teach us how to love. And that is the key to living a fruitful life, to living a productive life, to living a significant life. 
not filling your mind with all sorts of knowledge, important though that may be, but it's using that knowledge in a loving way. Uh, Christ does not teach us how to mend a car engine, but he does teach us to be honest. How many plumbers, how many mechanics have you met who are not honest? If we want to excel in our work, we have to listen to Christ. We may earn more money by not listening to Christ, but our life will not have true significance in the end, far from it. To excel in our work, we need to become loving people, joyful people, peaceful people, long-suffering people, kind people, faithful people, gentle people, self-controlled people. I hope you can catch where I've got those words from. They are the fruits of the Spirit, and they only come through Christ. And it's those people who will stand before kings. It's those people whose lives have significance in the eyes of God. It's those who will, whose lives will be like a fruitful bough, like a tree which gives great benefit to those who eat from it. And you cannot be those things without Christ. As he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So trustfully, those three things are instructive to us. As we seek to excel in whatever it is we do, whatever stage of life we're in, don't forget that if you want to excel in your work, you need Christ. You need him to put you in a right relationship with God, that you might have your sin forgiven and that you might be reconciled with your master. Secondly, you need him in order to know what your work is, what it is you should be doing on this earth. But thirdly and lastly, you need him to know how to do your work in a way that is pleasing to our maker. That is why Christ is crucial if we are to excel in our work and to stand before kings. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our final hymn, uh, hymn number 781. And it's a hymn, but it's really a prayer, uh, a prayer that God would teach us Uh, teach us more about what we have been looking at this morning. Number 781, Master, speak, thy servant heareth, waiting for thy gracious word, longing for thy voice that cheereth. Master, let it now be heard. I am listening, Lord, for thee. What hast thou to say to me? So let's close by singing number 781.